0: Hello friends, good morning. It's good to see you all this morning, both in person and online. It's good to be with you today. It's a beautiful day being with you because just God's presence with us when we gather like this, there's nothing like it. There's nothing more encouraging that stirs us up to good things than this. Well, as you can see, neither Tim nor Tim are standing before you today, and so I get the honor while they're on vacation to... Bring God's word to you today. You guys ready to jump into Hebrews? I'm ready too. Let's go. Well, just to set the table, today we will continue on with the same themes that Tim Prince started setting in motion the last couple of weeks, and we're asking the question: What is faith? What is faith? That's a good question to ask. One description that we gave uh, the last couple of weeks is: Christian faith is a decision to respond to what God has said. But how in the world do we do that? How do we respond? We gave some answers the last couple weeks. The first week we said we draw near to God by spending regular time hearing his voice through scripture and prayer. Week week two we said we hold fast by regularly meeting together and stirring up one another. And today we are going to talk about the fact that we preserve our souls by not shrinking back in the face of suffering. Now, none of these steps are hard, are, these steps are really hard to take. And so we're gonna need a little bit of a push today. I'm gonna to poke you a little bit, kind of like Tim said last week. And if you hear kind of a tone that says, wake up, that's because that's the tone of this passage. He wants us to wake up. And so let's jump right in today. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 through 39. You can read and follow along in whatever Bible works best for you. I'll be using the ESV Bible. And if you're using one of the Bibles under the chairs right in front of you, we're on page 1007. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 through 39. And I really want to encourage you as we read, as we walk through this conversation today, be prayerful. Ask your Heavenly Father, in light of this scripture today, Lord, what would you have me do in my own life? In fact, I'd I'd actually want to pray that with you today. Would you just close your eyes for a moment and just pray this with me repeat after me. Heavenly Father, in light of this truth today, what would you ask me to do? Amen. Thanks for praying with me. He longs for us to hear his voice and to respond to what he says. So let's respond to our God today. Verse 32 But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. And will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, if you're a follower of Jesus today, I want you to hear this you are by definition someone who preserves your soul in terms of preserving their souls the jewish christians in the first century they were in a tough spot christianity was spreading more and more rapidly all the time but it by, was by no means the majority religion and christians were experiencing severe persecution the same spirit that led the mob to to crucify jesus the same spirit that led Saul of Tarsus to hunt down and to kill Christians, that spirit was alive and well in the first century. And this left young Christians vulnerable. They experienced an extreme public shame and ridicule. Many businesses wouldn't even deal with Christians. Christians would have to buy food behind closed doors and under the table. Christian business owners generally did not do very well. They lost social connections. They were losing friends. They were losing family. And we see that they were, their property was being plundered, and they were even imprisoned for their beliefs. And in the face of all this, I'm sure you can well imagine, it would be easy for them to say, man, I don't think that this is worth it. What if this Jesus thing isn't true? Maybe it's better that I just go back to Judaism. I mean, it's the same God anyway, right? I haven't seen Jesus lately. Have you? be really easy for them to talk themselves out of christianity and all the suffering they were facing all that it was costing them to lose faith and to shrink back and many of those who had budding faith budding faith did shrink back they lost heart and they returned to what they knew what seemed safer what made life easier and this was the occasion into which the author of hebrews is speaking And this is why he speaks with so much urgency because their souls were literally hanging in the balance. And in an effort to stir them up, he speaks strongly of the judgment that's coming for one who received the truth once with joy but then loses their faith and shrinks back. God says in verse 39, my soul has no pleasure in him. And in verse 39, they are to be destroyed, those who shrink back. But in this section, There's also a lot of hope sprinkled in as well. Belief that among these were those who were showing signs of faith, that they would not shrink back. They would preserve their souls. And part of his encouragement is he starts using we language, saying we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed. And this is good news to them, and it's good news to us as well. We are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, amen? That's good news for us as well. That's the gospel at work in our lives. When I was in my late teens, my mother went through a personal revival. Spiritually, God was setting her life apart, and there began to be noticeable changes in her life in the area of prayer, personal worship, and study of his word. And her relationship with god blossomed and i noticed and unexpectedly these changes in her life started affecting my life and i found myself stirred up and compelled and i started to pursue his presence in the middle of the night to just go be with him worship read my bible and pray i just wanted to hear his voice and in those years when i was 16 17 and 18 years old god God would call out to my heart to seek his face And he was laying a foundation in my heart. He was digging a well in a cistern that throughout my life, through all the ups and downs, that I would have what I needed to be sustained. And it was during that time that he also confirmed the calling on my life to ministry. I was convinced that no matter what happened, professional or otherwise, I was going to be someone who worshiped God. Like a Levite of the Old Testament would serve and worship day and night. And this is the identity that I carried with myself year after year. Even as life filled up with marriage and kids and job, ministry, more responsibilities. Even as as life filled up with more and more people to care for. And it was a good thing. I wanted to serve him. I wanted to love him. And it was what my life was all about. And yet... As my life filled up more and more, I would draw near to him in those desperate ways less and less. I would go and be with him in the middle of the night less and less. And in what seemed like a blink of an eye, I was suddenly 40, asking the question of God, why is this life of living out the very calling that you placed on my life feeling so lifeless and without purpose? And I asked this God, I asked this question of God for over a year. Then on a beautiful day in May of this year, the morning sun, I remember, the morning sun was shining and I was sitting across from a Christian brother at Denny's at 6 a.m. before work. And as we had our Bibles open, we were ready to stir each other up from the book of Hebrews. And God's voice spoke to my spirit in response to the question that I had been asking over and over again. He said to my heart, in the face of life's worries, you have forgotten your first love. You no longer pursue me desperately like you did in the nights of your youth, and you've run out of fuel for the fire. And I realized it was true that slowly over time, I had made incremental compromises, the kind of sacrifice that it would have taken for me to pursue God the same way I did when I was young, It was growing too costly, more and more costly every year. And I stopped drawing near in those days. And I was left to live off the fuel of when I was young. And in that moment, in a virtually empty Denny's over fruit and toast, God was stirring up my heart to return to the things that I had done at first. He was speaking to me much like he did to the Ephesian church in Revelation chapter 2. He says, but I have this against you that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. And even though God was correcting me in that moment, I can't tell you how wonderful it was to hear his voice so clearly, like he did when I was younger. And I sensed a very similar tone from the author of Hebrews as I studied this passage this week. He's saying, remember your first love. Wake up and remember the things that you did at first. Recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those imprisoned. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. There are times when we need a reminder of the things that matter most in life, of what captured our heart in the first place. At first, these Jewish Christians were so captured by the good news of Jesus that they embraced all kinds of suffering. They put themselves in harm's way so that they could stand beside those being afflicted, even allowing their property to be taken, even allowing themselves to be put in prison for the gospel. And this passage tells us exactly why they were willing to do this. Because they knew they had a better possession in Jesus Christ. An abiding one, one that would never be taken away from them. And they must have believed that this reward is far greater than any hardship because no one leaves what they know. No one leaves the places that are predictable, peaceful, and generally good in order to go to something that's harder and not as good and not as worthy. We just don't do that as humans. We only head off to places, to new places, when we're convinced that the hardship of the change is worth it and that it's paired with a reward and a better promise. At some point, those who had budding signs of faith, they were compelled. They said, you know, following Jesus the Messiah through hell and high water is better than the safety and the comfort we experience in Judaism. But at some point in our story, those who were enlightened to the truth started losing heart in face of all their pain and all their suffering. And they began to shrink back from what they first believed. God is speaking to this critical point in human history, in church history, through the author saying, don't you remember all the hardship you endured with the conviction you had? And you said that it would be worth it because you saw Jesus and believed that it would be worth it because you saw him and you saw his promises. Well, I'm here to tell you the gospel has not changed. The same reward is there at the end. So don't stop now. You want to say, I'm not experiencing the promise. And since I'm not being saved from this situation, Jesus must have failed. And Christian, God wants you to know today that in the middle of whatever you are suffering, Jesus did not fail. It's very likely that his plan is not to deliver you from pain yet, but to prove that he's still God right in the middle of your pain that he's with you, and that he wants to reveal himself to you through your suffering. Verse 37 tells us of a coming one who will one day restore all things, make all things new, make all things right. But until then, God wants to reveal himself through your suffering. The tense of the original Greek of the phrase abiding possession in verse 34 conveys the truth that not only do we have a future heavenly possession, but we possess our reward in the present as well. It is a presently abiding reward. For the Christian, life cannot be all about eliminating pain and suffering from our life. That must not be our primary focus this side of heaven. That's God's job. All the biblical authors assume suffering in this world. Jesus said in this world you will have trouble. Scripture teaches us in Ephesians and Corinthians and 1 Peter that Christ is revealed to us as we share in his suffering. In James it says, Consider it joy when you encounter trials of many kinds. Jesus tells us that the Christian life includes persecution, that the abundant life goes hand in hand with a life of suffering and trial and includes uncomfortable activities like visiting the sick, the destitute, and those in prison. And in these commands, we see that suffering is something voluntary. We literally sign up for pain. And why is that? Because Jesus signed up for pain, and he's our example. He stepped into the world that was broken and dark and full of pain in order that he might restore it. And we are called to follow in his footsteps, to serve as redemptive agents in the world on his behalf. We have to step into, actually step into the suffering, our own suffering, the suffering of others, into the dark places, the broken places, and engage with it. As followers of Christ, our voluntary response to God's voice is to stand firm in the face of our trials and preserve our souls. We do this by taking redemptive stance in the world, by declaring the truth, by caring for those who are afflicted, loving our enemies without retaliation, even when something evil is being done to us. It's much like Jesus when he said, Father, forgive them, even while they crucified him. But too many of us become passive and crushed by our hardship. We become bitter and resentful, and worse yet, we shrink back. We find the safest place we can, and we go hunker down. Our priority in life becomes finding the places with the least amount of pain and harm. Now I want to pause in the middle and just give a disclaimer. Some of you are in really hard relationships, really hard circumstances, and you're struggling with knowing whether the most redemptive step is to stay in the relationship or the most uh, redemptive step is to get out of the relationship? And those are really hard questions to wrestle with. So if you're in that kind of situation where there's a truly deep, deeply toxic relationship, please seek biblical, a biblical counselor, someone with godly counsel that can help you sort through how to follow Jesus. So what are the ways we shrink back in a place like Hudson, Wisconsin? We start favoring our personal comfort or safety Over our redemptive work in the world. We spend the majority of our energy saving up more money than we could ever need, more possessions than we could ever need, just in case something bad happens. We avoid conflict in our relationships, even though walking through conflict can bring about redemptive results. We avoid the pain in the world by spending hours scrolling through our phone, searching through Netflix. We're kind of giving Netflix a hard time this series, aren't we? That's probably a good thing. We avoid suffering by following in the footsteps of our surrounding culture and along the path of least resistance. In those situations, our lives start looking a lot like everybody else around us. The Jewish Christians were tempted to shrink back into safety, the safety of their culture, back to Judaism. And how bad could that be? Our reading today says it's pretty bad. It doesn't go well for one who has received the truth, committed to Jesus, but then shrinks back into a life that doesn't reflect the gospel. And that's why verse 36, the author says, the Christian is in need of endurance. Romans 5 tells us that endurance is produced through suffering. Faith in Jesus is all about enduring through and responding to his voice, whatever you're facing the highs and the lows, when you have an opportunity in front of you to act out what is true and what God's calling you to do in light of his scripture, even in the face of discomfort, that's exactly where endurance is formed. You will repeat the same lukewarm patterns in your life over and over again until you begin to see suffering as a catalyzing agent for endurance As an encouragement, I want you to remember that there is a suffering Savior who longs to endure right beside you, no matter what you're going through, whether it's a big struggle or a small one. He's acquainted with the ways you're suffering because he experienced it too, to its fullest extent. If God has you suffering today, don't go back to Egypt like the Israelites because you think the greatest goal is the promised land itself. The truth is, the promised land is only the goal because God is there in the promised land. Ultimately, he is the prize. Your faith was given to you as a gift so that you could know that he is with you in the desert. That's the promise that's already available to you. If the goal is simply comfort, if the goal is simply safety, if the goal is simply predictability in our lives apart from Jesus, then we should go back to Egypt. We should go back to Judaism. We should go back to the place where we didn't have this much pain. But if your prize is truly Jesus, then come what may, you will choose obedience every time, even if there's suffering. Because how great for the Christian is the prize of God with us to hear his voice spoken to us. For us, that's enough. It gives more hope than we could ever imagine. Recently, my five year old daughter, Naomi, had a dentist appointment coming up, and my wife shared this fact with her. And a few weeks before the appointment, she put on her brave pay- face, she put her chin up in the air and puffed her chest out, and she said, I am ready for my dental appointment. <laughs> I'm not even scared, it's good for my health she said. When my wife told me the story, I was pretty proud of her because she doesn't like the dentist. So I was proud that she was putting on that brave, brave face. So the day came, Naomi and her brother were sitting in the waiting room. And of course, the dental assistant comes out into the room and she goes, okay, I'm ready. Naomi, Sebastian, it's your turn. I'll take whoever wants to come first. And without hesitation, Naomi said, you can go first. <laughs> I need more time. <laughs> and I don't mean to pick on my beautiful little daughter, but aren't we all like that? That very frequently, when something hard comes along and we know it would be good for our health to go through it, it'd be good for our faith in God, that we shrink back and say, I need more time, God, in hopes that there arises some point where we'll, have, we'll be able to accomplish a thing without pain. I want to emphasize that it is not wrong to want to be delivered from your suffering. Sometimes God delights to relieve you of that suffering. It can be a, it can be a beautiful thing, though, to bring that request before God. On the night that Jesus was arrested, he brought his full humanity to the table in the Garden of Gethsemane. And while he sweat blood, tears of blood, he asked his father, if the cross was the only way, and when we're in the middle of trial, it is not wrong to pray, God, I want something else. I want to be somewhere else, to plead with God and say, Father, please, if there is another way, if it's possible, please deliver me. It's good to be in a relationship with God where you feel safe enough To approach him with that suffering and say, God, I want a way out. But, if that is where you are, and you want to be one, like in this passage, who does not shrink back, your next step of faith is to say, yet not my will, but yours be done. And to seek his will through prayer. This reflects verse 36. We need to embrace these moments as critical to our understanding of who God is and the abundant reward we receive as those who do God's will. Because for each time we are only asking for deliverance from our pain and suffering, we will remain just an acquaintance of God or at worst a stranger where Jesus would eventually say, depart from me, I never knew you. It is so critical for the development of our faith to say, Not my will, but yours be done. Having faith in Jesus means being someone who takes up a cross, who sacrifices themselves, and not walking away from that cross that's been placed before us. There are so many places in this world, right now and throughout history, where suffering is a way of life. My son, Elijah, came back from a Mexico mission trip recently. And they went and built houses for those who were in need. And I was so impressed by what he came back with. I said, what what did you learn? What did you see? And in all their poverty, he saw the faith of these people that that they were trying to help. And he said, that's real faith. They have joy. They have almost nothing. But they have more joy than any of the Christians that I've seen back home. And I was so thankful that he had that that experience. That should be sobering for us. That the most real faith he ever saw was those who were in deep, deep need. That should be a word for us. That in 21st century America, in a place like Hudson, Wisconsin, there are endless ways that we can avoid or ignore the pain around us and within us. And this is dangerous because this is really dangerous because, in some important ways, we fool ourselves by way of our self sufficiency and our apparent lack of suffering into thinking that we don't need the gospel. And we'd rather not get our hands dirty or inconvenienced by those who do need it. We don't need to draw near to God when we're already pretty happy with what we have. We say things like, I don't need to gather together with Christians all that often to get stirred up because I have a lot of important things going on. Yet this is the, these things are the lifeblood of our faith. That's what creates the endurance to get to the end. So ask yourself, what trial, what conflict, what hard thing is God calling you not to avoid? To not find a way, or a, to not find a way out. Where are you, like Jesus, saying, I don't want to do this, Lord, but not my will, but yours be done? Is it in your marriage? Is it in a difficult relationship? Is it some hidden sin in your life? Is it something in your life that's in disrepair? Is it something you're not taking responsibility for that you should be? It's that place of sorrow. It's that place of suffering. It's that place of crushing where his blessing will flow out where you will share in the sufferings of Christ, and he will be your reward. We just spent months in a series called, He is Greater. And let me ask you, and I actually want your participation, say it out loud, the answer. Who is greater than all creation? Who is greater than all he's made? It's Jesus, who gave a greater and more perfect sacrifice than we could ever make. It's Jesus who gave a great, oh, I already did that one. (laughs) Who saved us from certain death? It's Jesus. And when in the end, what has been promised to us? What is our reward? It's he himself. What could be better than receiving the one who gives life, the one who preserves life, the one who saves life? Our reward is him, the person who does these things to be in the presence of the one who's walking with you day by day, the one who crafted you and made you tenderly with love and devotion. Even through fire and trial, you are forever loved. You are forever having a place where you're forever belonging, and you will never be cast out. He is your reward. Amen? He is our reward. And yet I get it. It is so hard when you cannot see him. We can't see him with our physical eyes. We can't hear him with our ears. And so, so often he feels so far away. I struggle with that kind of unbelief as well. It's too easy to say, I can't, I can't see you, so I'll just keep on living my life such as it is. The story of the first recorded Christian martyr, Stephen, in the book of Acts, leaves me speechless every single time. While Stephen proclaims the gospel in Jerusalem, he stands there firm in his belief. And the Bible tells us that. He's given a vision. As people start to take up stones to kill him, he is given a vision. And I'll give you one guess of what what was in that vision. It was Jesus. It was Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And I get the sense from this passage that he experiences some kind of supernatural peace as every stone strikes his body, that he has the peace and the power. And as his eyes were fixed on Jesus, he had the strength to endure all the way to the end. It was a vision of Jesus fixed on the better promise. So if you're in the middle of of suffering in your life today and you do not know Jesus, and you're starting to feel a stirring in your soul. Don't push that away. If you're suffering, Jesus is calling out to you. I want to encourage you, don't push him away. Talk to me after the service or any one of our pastors or someone from our prayer room. We'd love to talk to you and talk to you about how Jesus can meet you in your pain. Well, how do you know that Jesus is your exceedingly great reward? You know because you seek him. You seek him even when no one's looking. You draw near to him. You hold fast to him by, by gathering with other believers. And you press into suffering, knowing that we are not ones who shrink back. You do this when no one's looking. And then when there's this discerning eye, those are the times you also obey. I allowed Jesus in my life to turn into a distant reward that I had already claimed in the past. And it wasn't until that supply ran out that I suddenly realized that I was losing my sense of purpose. And it's kind of weird. How could I have forgotten? How could I have lost touch with the whole point? Jesus, a person, was my living and active supply and reward. But it was leaning into suffering and the heartache. Getting up in the middle of the night again. It was leaning into my sense of purposelessness and praying prayers that seemed to evaporate into the air over and over for over a year. It was those things that opened my eyes to bring revival to my heart again. And while being stirred up by a Christian brother, it's so important, lean into the pain instead of running away from it and finding ways to self-medicate. Some of you are here and you need to learn how to be obedient even when it means taking a step into something that's uncomfortable, into suffering. Taking up your cross starting today, you need endurance to sacrifice your life for others who are in need of comfort and healing. Who is the one in your life who is suffering and in some kind of spiritual prison today? They need you to go and visit them in prison step into that discomfort, to provide for them, to support them. Under a thousand layers of self-protection, boundaries and isolation that we put up, under a thousand layers of self-soothing, the scrolling and entertainment that we satiate ourselves with, under the layers of self-trust and monetary security and the things that we pursue, we are in a deep sleep, often unaware